So Revelation 17, verse 14. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Lord God, we submit ourselves to the authority of your holy word in our lives, asking that your spirit would open our eyes to see and soften our hearts to hear. Show us Jesus, teach us the gospel, and make us your people. For the sake of communicating the goodness and glory of your name, we pray. Amen. So, I recently did a small fast of just a few days, which, as I'm sure you're all wondering, is part of how I keep so svelte and manly. How's that for a ridiculous sermon intro? (laughs) The guys in the studio here are all like, yes, go with that. Doing great. So, I'm coming off a fast, and they say you shouldn't eat too much too soon when you're coming off that fast, and you shouldn't come off a fast too fast. (laughs) So... They say you should start back slowly with juices and fresh fruit and leafy raw vegetables, right? So, so I thought in my wisdom, why not start in with one of those dense protein bars? Now, you know the kind, right? These protein bars, they're made of oatmeal and bark and dirt and, and unpronounceable Asian plant roots that offer eternal life. But when you combine them all together, it somehow tastes like a magical cookie. Now, I know that sounds like a less than wise way to come off a fast, and it is. But I was desperately hungry. And the bananas and the juices were on two different sides of the store, and who's got time to go to both sides? Not only that, but the beautiful packaging on the outside made it sound like they'd mixed it in the lab with pure chocolate brownie concentrate and Disney magic. So, so I started in. And the first bite seemed at least promising. A smidge of chocolate brownie, but no magic. So I kept going. And the second bite had a little of that bark and dirt starting to show and still no magic. But at this point, I'm thinking, I paid like two bucks for this thing, so so I'm going to see this through. But about a minute in, just seconds after I had swallowed bites one and two, and after I figured I'd go all in with bite three, I began to realize my mistake because the, the bark and the dirt became more like charcoal and chili powder. And I quickly ran for the nearest trash can because my gastrointestinal functions, which are clearly wiser than my reasoning skills, they were in forceful rebellion against this disgusting protein bar. Moral of the story being, walk to both sides of the store to get the juice and bananas. Now, apart from protein bars that Offer hope, but deliver death. What what is something you've desperately wanted? Something maybe you've hoped for, you've, you've prayed for, you've worked toward, maybe you've saved up for. What is something you thought would be good and helpful? But when you got it, 
it was not only less wonderful than expected, but it ended up being not just hurtful and detrimental, but something that did not meet your expectations, that you'd poured your time and energy into, and that felt like an altogether loss. Maybe it's something that was simply a book you read or an idea you believed, but most likely it was a person from your past, a relationship that seemed promising at first, but ended up being an overpriced clump of charcoal and chili powder. In 1 Samuel 8, in the Old Testament, because they were jealous of all the big and cool nations around them that seemed to have more power and wealth than them, the people of God began pleading for a king to lead them. They were desperate to keep up with the Joneses and the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and so they kicked Samuel the prophet to the curb because he was old and his, his sons were not worthy successors. When they should have waited for God to lead and to provide direction, the people of God started a coup to, to push for their own vision of national greatness and safety. They all had on mega hats, make Israel great again. Look at 1 Samuel 8, starting at verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, meaning said to Samuel, on behalf of the people, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now, this obviously isn't an invalid concern. Samuel had been a faithful and trusted leader, but he wasn't getting any younger, and his sons were not worthy successors. Verse 3 says, they took bribes and perverted justice. So the people and the elders saw this as an opportunity to replace Samuel, which makes sense. That's fine. No big deal. Replacing Samuel wasn't their error. Their error was short-circuiting God's leading by seeking worldly power in a new way and in a new person that they thought offered protection and safety and prosperity until they got to that third bite of charcoal and chili powder. The problem was the way in which and the one in whom they were seeking protection and safety and prosperity. Keep reading verse 5. Now, Appoint for us, this is the people speaking through the elders, appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Appoint for us a king to judge us, to lead us. They hadn't had a king before, but they wanted one now. This is the first time in all of scripture that the people of God say, make us people who are subject to a king. They wanted a king, look at this, verse 5, don't miss this part, like all the nations. Listen, folks, <laughs> when we, when, when the people of God, we begin pining to be like all the nations, we are beginning to lose sight of our true leader who alone offers protection and safety and prosperity. Well, right away, Samuel can see the problem. Look at verse six. The thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. What do I do now, Lord? And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. 
Notice that God explicitly ties their seeking after a king with rejection of him as king. He assures Samuel that this is not a rejection of him as a prophet, but of himself as king. So he says, Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they've not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Skip to verse 9. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So give them what they want, but tell them what they're in for. Verse 10. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. Now, just listen to all the various things that, that God warns them of when they become subject to a worldly king. Starting at verse 11. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will point for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flock, the tenth of your flocks, and you shall be his Slaves. Now, don't miss this next verse. And in that day, meaning when you begin to see all of these things happen, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. Friends, when you've chosen to follow someone or something other than the God who made you, seeking protection and safety and prosperity in the kings and the kingdoms of this world, do you honestly think you're going to receive much better than charcoal and chili powder in return? Would you've put one iota of true and lasting hope in politicians, and you have placed emotional energy into empty campaign prophecies empty campaign promises offered by those who are largely seeking to further establish worldly power. You've chosen your own oppression. Now, listen, I get it. I'm a total info hound and a slightly addicted political junkie. Straight up, as an in-the-tank Burkean conservative right-wing nut job, I have quite definite political views, and I can't for the life of me understand why anyone could possibly be different than my 100% correct viewpoint. But I've had to do a lot of repenting the last few weeks, and really months, for caring so much about the political direction of our country and for giving into a world that is constantly trying to squeeze us into its mold of, of pining after false worldly securities. 
Listen, if you're still clinging to false hopes that a politician can provide protection and safety and prosperity that last, not only are you in love with this world, you might just be insane. Putting hope in the people and the powers of this world is like expecting chocolate brownie and Disney magic and getting charcoal and chili powder every single time. Friends, God knows this world's leaders will fail to save you. And you should too. They're sinners. They are not righteous. They cannot lead you to lasting joy. They don't know how to mix chocolate brownie concentrate and Disney magic to do anything. Now, with God, in contrast, even when his own people sought after a king like all the nations, as, as we still obviously do, God knew it would fail, and he has warned us in his word not to follow worldly kings. And he didn't, uh, he didn't abandon us to them. He sent us a righteous shepherd to be our king. Look at Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 3. Starts off, first word, then, meaning after all other leaders have corrupted the people and they've been shown for what they are, then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, meaning God himself will bring his people back by his own voice so that he will be the shepherd. He says, I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them. And I will bring them back to their fold and they shall be fruitful and multiply. They will flourish as intended. Genesis 1, be fruitful and multiply. When God is shepherd, then they will prosper to become who I created them to be, God is saying. And, and, and lest you think this is about the end times, when Jesus returns the second time, it isn't. This is about when Jesus comes the first time. So this, this gathering of the remnant in verses 3 and 4 here, when God will be their shepherd and their leader, and when they will be fruitful and multiply, that happens when God feeds them, which is shown in verse 4. He says, I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, meaning, meaning leaders who will feed them from God's word and not from self or from the ways and means of this world. That's the primary way you identify true shepherds because in reality, in effect, it's not them leading, but they are only conduits for the word of God that leads. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, verse 4. And they shall fear no more. The flock that God leads as a shepherd king, they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. So when God becomes shepherd of his people, when Jesus comes, his sheep are not fearful and they aren't missing. They're all gathered, accounted for, called by God's own voice and fruitful to become who God intended. And again, this happens not in the future, but it has already happened in the past. Look at verse 5. Behold, the days are coming. Relative to Jeremiah's prophecy, these days are coming. But relative to us, 
they have already come. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David in the line of King David. The days are coming when I will raise up for David a righteous branch from one little shoot of the tree. A righteous branch will be raised up and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. This was good news of future unity for the people of God at the time. This was good news of future unity under this new righteous king, especially for God's people in Jeremiah who were living in a divided nation, Israel and Judah. Finishes up by saying this, verse six, and this is the name by which he will be called, by which this new king will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Now think about this title for this king. Jeremiah says here in verse six, he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. Meaning God's people who are under his reign, who are gathered by his word, will look at him and say, this Lord, this king, he is our righteousness. This king who lived a righteous life became a complete and fitting sacrifice for our unrighteousness. That's why they'll call him our righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Think about that verse. For our sake, for our benefit, because we had no recourse and because he wanted to bless us when we didn't deserve it, God made Jesus, who was sinless, to be sin for us, to be treated as sinful on the cross, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become righteous before God. This king, Instead of using his subjects as pawns in, in worldly power games, this king uses his own righteousness and freely gives it to his subjects. Friends, that's a king worth following. That's a king who deserves our very best in return. He deserves our worship, our service, our time, our money. He deserves our entire life as a joyful sacrifice of praise in return for his righteousness. When we understand how much we've been given in Jesus and that we have his perfect righteousness and we look at him and we can say, he is our righteousness. We are never disappointed. With Jesus, it's never charcoal and chili powder and it's even better than chocolate brownie concentrate and Disney magic. Friends, stop putting your faith in this world's unrighteous kings. <laughs> if you found yourself crushed by the recent election results or elated by them, or at least too emotionally drawn into prognostications about what might be the election results, it may be because you are following unrighteous kings. So let's take a minute 
And let's think about this takeaway question. What unrighteous kings are you following? Friends, when we consider this important question, it resets our hearts and minds around the person of Jesus Christ, who is our leader, our guide, and our king. He alone is worthy of your devotion. Submit yourself to him and reject all other kings that vie for your attention. He delivers on his promises because he alone is righteous. Father in heaven, we admit before you that we seek after things of this world as if they can deliver in ways that only you can. Forgive us, Father, for allowing our lives, our minds, and hearts to be so ingrained in the things of this world that it feels like having to have surgery to reset hearts and minds around the truth of who you are for us in Jesus. Forgive us for being so ingrained in the things of this world that it hurts a little to be removed from them so that we can have hearts and minds that are focused on around the truth that you are righteous. Father, make us aware through your spirit and it's work in us of those places in our lives where we are depending on unrighteous kings that can't deliver. Make of us, Lord, a people who look to your son, Jesus, who listen to your word to lead us so that we would be a witness to the truth that your son, Jesus, that the Lord, that he alone is our righteousness. Make us a witness to that amazing truth, Lord, we pray, for the sake of communicating the goodness and glory of your name.